70s. I loved it. Some of you dads relate to that song because you're a part of my generation. And some of you relate to it because you know what it's like trying to be an iron dad. You know, it's so stressful, isn't it? Being a father. There's so much going on about that. And there's so many... Uh, issues that you're working through and trying to get right. I, I know a lot of men who feel this pressure to be like a superhero in order just to be a good dad. You feel like, Man, I can't do this. This is beyond what I'm able to do. My giftedness, my abilities, it looks bigger up close than maybe it did at a distance. And you feel the pressure of all those expectations all the things that you want to get right and you're afraid you don't get right. All the things that is in your heart to see in, in the lives of your children. And in the midst of that, you feel the pressure of uh, a job. Sometimes you guys work 50, 60 plus hours a week uh, just trying to provide. And then you feel guilty about that because you think, oh, I should be spending more time with my kids and um, not doing that part. And there's just always something that seems to surface that creates that that stress for us the redefining of gender roles really in the last 10 and 20 years have left a lot of dads just wondering what am i supposed to do i'm kind of i'm uncertain about the expectation and what is what is it that i bring to the table and what what does that look like for my family there's been the breakdown of morality. And even saying that, I know it almost sounds like a cliche, but it's tough on dads because we uh, want our children to adhere to Christian principles and morals that we know they're going to need for the rest of their life. And it's those very principles that are attacked in our culture that we feel undermined uh, constantly by the lessons that they hear in other places. And when you add in the fact that the media portrays dads uh, pretty much as imbeciles, you know, every cartoon, every television show, every movie, uh, the dad is the butt of the joke, and we are just ridiculous people who kind of don't have a clue or what's going on, and the, the kids are like super brilliant, and they get it, and we don't. You know, and you, you kind of put all that together, and uh, we just feel sometimes irrelevant. And we feel this tension. Now, i got to be honest with you, because I've been in church for a while now, and sometimes even at church, we don't mean to, but we add to that pressure by kind of beating up on dads, you know? Um, any of you ever been to a men's conference or a dad's seminar or even in a worship service, especially on a Father's Day? You know, Mother's Day, we say, I love my mama. I miss my mama. I'm going to call. And on Father's Day, we go, all right, dads, sit up straight and listen. You know, and it's like, why don't we be sentimental about dad like that? You know, and so sometimes we, um, we just kind of over-remind you of your neglect or your poor example. And I, I just want you to know, dads, you can just chill. You can relax for the rest of this service because I'm not going to beat you up. I just want to build you up uh, and just give you some encouragement. Now, let's look at a father who, who kind of faced a lot of the same pressures that, that we do. He's in the book of Genesis. We actually did a series on this guy in Cafe 
uh, not too long ago. And for the first time, at least since I've been pastor, I think we may redo a series. I've I've never done that. But what we did in cafe, we had kind of a good response. And and several of you said, you know what, that needs to be on a Sunday morning because there are people who can't be here or here. But it's, it's a story of about a guy named Jacob. And we're going to look at just a section, just a portion of, of his story, because uh, I think he lived through a lot of the same things, guys, that, that we're living through as dads. He experienced many of the same pressures that young fathers especially uh, face today. His story, or at least the, the part we're going to read today, is in Genesis chapter 28. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses, okay, and just give you a glimpse into uh, to where this guy is. The Bible says this in Genesis 48. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, Your father is weaker. So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph uh, has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. And he said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make... Many nations come from you. And I will give this land as an eternal possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours and will be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. When I was returning from Padan to... Uh, my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan. I buried her there along the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons that God has given me here. So Jacob said, Bring them to me and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age. He could hardly see. Joseph brought them to him and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. Then Joseph took them from his father's knee and he bowed with his face to the ground. That's a beautiful little part of a story and kind of an amazing thing uh, that happened at this place uh, in in Jacob's life. I want you to see some of the pressures that he faced that maybe you can relate to as well. First, there's this pressure of Jacob's imperfection. He had messed up several times. Jacob didn't have a good reputation, especially as a young man. Uh, one day in his youth, when he was about you guys' age, he was just a student, he was a teenager, and he was cooking some beef stew. And his older brother Esau comes in. And he had been on this unsuccessful hunt. He's absolutely famished. He just, you know, that, that feeling you have. You're shaky. You're hungry. And he, he was so hungry. And this cooking beef stew, this aroma. Oh, that smelled so good. And he's so hungry. And he had this ravenous appetite. And Esau begins to beg him, Hey, brother, give me a bowl of beef stew. Give me just a portion of that. Just give me some of that. Jacob said, this is what brothers do. Jacob said, I'll give you some, but it will cost you your birthright. 
Who does that, right? Esau said, what good is a birthright if a man is starving? If I'm facing starvation. So Jacob made a deal. He had a deal, but it was a bad deal. It's a bad, he exploited the situation. He manipulated this whole thing. Sometime later, Jacob cheated Esau again. Uh, and we get this feeling that, that's this, that this is not the first time, that there's some of that going on like all the time in his life. He's just one of those guys that's always looking for a way to take advantage of the people around him. It was a custom that the older son would receive a double portion of the father's estate. He got like two-thirds, and the next son got one-third uh, when, when the father died. So Jacob, with his mother's help, uh, he disguises himself as his older brother. Uh, he goes in, and he tricks his poor old blind dad. Who does that? He tricks him into guaranteeing him the inheritance. Now, he's just wrapping this thing up, all at Esau's expense. And when Esau, Esau, Esau learned about that, he was absolutely furious. I mean, you can imagine. You've been so mad at your little brother. You've been so mad at your sister. You can, yes, I feel that. I understand how he felt. Well, times 10, he's so mad about that that he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him, except he means it. And he starts chasing him. And Jacob flees for his life. He gets out of town. Jacob's reputation in the land of Canaan, in his hometown, was one, anytime you mention his name, anywhere, he's a schemer, he's a con man, he's a trickster, he cannot be trusted, never buy a used chariot from this guy. Uh, he's just a sketchy, shady kind of person. That's the kind of reputation that he had. And you know what? A lot of dads have a little bit of a reputation. They got something going on in their past. And don't you just dread when your children grow up and they start finding out about that? You imagine that first look when they, they hear about this thing? You did that? I've gotten a lot of those looks. <laughs> and one of the first ones when, when I was a youth minister, and I'm up and I'm telling one of my stories, you know, and it's just this great illustration. And I look back there, and there sits my daughter looking at me like, Oh, Papa, <laughs> tell me you didn't do that. I was another, it was actually my twin evil brother, Don, who, and I'm just saying it in first person, but, you know, it's this moment when you know they're going to find out. Some of you guys, you already know stuff out about your dad, right? And you think, he doesn't know I know, or he never thought I'd find these things out. You know about that. You know about that. Particularly if you live in a family like mine, and, and you have relatives who love to tell stuff on each other. Well, let me tell you about your dad, what he did. You know, I go, yeah, tell me that. That kind of happens. And that was, that was Jacob's situation. You know, most fathers want to prevent their kids from learning about, about it, but it's going to happen. And Jacob didn't have his untarnished reputation by any means, and his sons knew about it. Doesn't that just hurt? Doesn't that just hurt your heart? Most of you know some things about your dad that make him imperfect in your sight. Not like when you were three or four or five, and he did seem perfect. Maybe he was prejudiced. Maybe he was racist. Maybe he... Uh, wasn't always honest in business dealings, and, and you, you saw that uh, sometimes. Maybe he was greedy. Maybe he was a heavy drinker. 
Maybe he was a womanizer, and you found out about that uh, later in life. You know, there's, there's all these things. Some of you ladies have had a father that has disappointed you in some big ways and so wounded your heart, you don't trust any man now. You've lost respect for men in general because of something or a behavior or a habit or a lifestyle of your father's. And it hurts you. And you, you've, you've spent 20, 30, 40 years trying to break away from some of those ideas uh, that you took on when you got disillusioned in discovering the truth about your dad. Your confidence is shaken. You know what? I totally understand that. And I'm not going to wipe that away by saying something nice or something gracious or big. I understand those are real issues that you have to deal with. But most of our dads, most of our dads didn't disappoint us in some huge, secret, dark way. For most of them, it was in less ways. It was in insignificant, at the time it seemed, ways that still hurt, still left us wounded, still left us wondering about ourselves and about the world around us and about him. And your esteem maybe was hurt, not in big ways, but just in the ordinary, everyday ways of life that flowed through his personality. They simply didn't live up to the image of the ideal TV dad. What I'm asking to do something today is, is kind of a leap for some of you, and it may be a big thing. And I've had to do this, and some of you have got to do this. Be realistic. There is no perfect father. He's not out there. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't create an unrealistic expectation. Don't push on your dad a standard that's really impossible for anybody to have and then expect he's going to always live up to that. This is a moment to be forgiving. The Bible says that we're to forgive one another as we want God to forgive us. So until you are the perfect child and you get it right every time and you could go to your dad and say, hey, I'm a perfect child, why can't you be a perfect father? Until you can do that, you really, I mean, just, this sounds kind of harsh, but here's the thing, you, you really don't have the right to expect him to be perfect. So what I'm asking you to do is extend some grace and do it now. Not when you're grown, not when he's gone. Do it now. And in the midst of that, let me, I'm just going to be real quick to say, we don't gloss over and excuse you know, bad behavior. Men, if you see this as a license, if you think I'm giving you a free ticket, well, you heard what Dan said, you've got to forgive me. And, uh, that's not what this is about. You're a big boy, and you know the right thing to do. What it is about is... I'm, uh, hoping we can be discerning within that. Remember, you don't have to repeat the offenses of your father. You are not doomed to that. Well, daddy was this way, so I'm going to be this way. And that, no, you don't have to be like your dad in his fault or in his sins. The enemy will whisper that to you so that you just feel like you're locked in. Well, you know, what am I going to do? I've got no. That, that is a lie. You don't have to be like your dad in those ways. In fact, you can even profit from his mistakes. 
you can see this is a behavior my dad had, and I just find that so, you know, I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that guy. You don't have to be. Then don't, don't do that. Don't be there. But in the midst of this process, you can love your dad in spite of all his inadequacies and all of his goofiness and his quirks and the crazy things about him. You think, oh, my dad always says this or he does that or he has this. Uh, you can love him in spite of that. And guys, keep in mind the damage that you may do uh, of something that you kind of excuse. Well, my daddy had a big temper and I've got a temper and that's just the way we are. Da, da, da. No, 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 no. Grow up, get control of that, give that to the Lord and change and change. Be the dad you wanted to have. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It is to your glory when you overlook your dad's offenses. And it's wisdom. And it will create patience within you. It will equip you in ways uh, that you may not even imagine yet one day when you get a bad teacher, bad boss, and all of that. I think another pressure that Jacob faced was in just providing for his family. God blessed Jacob, and he actually became rich. In Genesis 30, verse 43, um, the Bible says, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maid servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. I mean, he just had, he had all these resources. And I love this. The Bible says that he promised God he would give back a tenth of everything that he made. One of the good things about Jacob was that he was a giver. And his children saw that. He didn't have to. When they got up and started getting jobs, he didn't say, now you ought to give. Now I don't do it. Don't do what I do. Do what I say do. And you ought to do this. No, they were so used to that principle. And they saw how their dad was blessed because he was a giver. And so they just gave. They became givers through his example. Your children may not do what you say to do, but they will do what you do. Okay? And if you're a giver, they'll be givers. And, and that's what he did. He was generous with his church, so to speak. He was generous with the Lord. He was generous in his community. He was generous with his sons. But then something happened that we can relate to. A famine hit the land. Uh, it was this economic <laughs> downturn. I mean, it was this, this tough time. Uh, nationally, and, and Jacob began to lose those resources. He began to have to cash things in. He got desperate. He had 11 sons, a number of daughters. He had grandchildren. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jacob felt responsible for 66 people in his clan. How would you like to have 66 people on your payroll? You know, that, that's what he was trying to provide for these people. And he'd lie awake at night thinking, oh, man, I gotta, I, I've got to figure this out. So when this severe famine came, he sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain so that he could find some way to keep this, to feed his family, to sustain you know, the lifestyle. You know what? That's a major pressure that fathers feel today. Dads want to create an atmosphere and a feeling of security for you. That is in their heart for their home. And with the downsizing of a lot of corporations, with where we are right now, and I could go on and sound like one of those old guys, you know, and the gasoline cost, I remember when it was 50 cents, and that song was playing on my 8-track, and, you know, and, 
and, and, just, and, and talk about that. But that really doesn't help us at the end of the day when we think, yeah, but I've got to provide. I've got to provide. And there's that, that pressure there. And every dad wants to be a hero in his children's eyes. He wants to give you the things that he didn't have. He, he wants to make sure that you're okay. Your dad doesn't drive a cream-colored minivan with wood grain on the side because he likes it. He'd much rather have a Corvette or, or, an, or a, a, you know, a, an Escalade or something. And if you've got one, God bless you, that's great. But you get the idea that he's, he's doing those things for you because he loves you and he wants to do that. But if your father's like most of us and has to struggle a little bit, has to sacrifice sometimes to make ends meet, then we've got to learn to be content with what we have and stop putting that pressure on him. You know, one of the ways we do that, and I don't think I even realized this until we were grown, because I had a couple of friends who seemed to uh, I always have stuff I didn't have, you know, because I was in that just right under, it seemed like, everybody all the time. And I would get the knockoff brand, or I would get it later, or I would get it used, or, you know, and I always felt like, hey, how come my bike's not like Freddie's bike? How come my glove isn't as good as Billy's glove? And it wasn't until I was grown I realized because Daddy didn't have it. He was doing everything he had to do what he, what he could do. Show appreciation for that. Be content with what we have. If your father grumbles a little bit sometimes or, or you sense that he gets defensive when you start talking about money, cut him some slack. Fathers experience the pressure sometimes that comes from being a single parent. Jacob's wife, Rachel, died giving birth to Benjamin. Now, if you know the story, their love story, Jacob was just absolutely devastated by her death. I mean, this was the love of his life. And he was also left to raise Joseph and Benjamin with no mother. He had people around him. He had extended family. But nobody was this boy's mother. You know, there was just something special there. And he woke up one day as a single dad. A USA article today reported that about 36% of children in the U.S. live apart from their biological fathers. Coincidentally, I read an article this week from the Daily that puts it more at 27%. So we can lock in that that's about one out of every three children in our culture that don't have dad in the home. Do you know that number has tripled since 1960? Since some of you were children, about 70% of juveniles in long-term correctional facilities d didn't have both parents growing up. And we have seen a direct correlation between both parents being involved, both parents there, especially when a dad is completely out of the picture. Something happens. The rate of drug-related crimes in the U.S. from 1970 to now has risen 1,400%. And it's in that group that 70% of them say, I didn't have a dad. Dads, you have a tremendous influence and power. And you think, but I'm not doing anything. You're doing a lot more than you know. And some of you guys who are not dads, but you see a situation 
where maybe there's a single mom and she's trying to, you need to step in and be a mentor. We've got kids right now down in kids stuff. We've got children in our nursery. We've got students in our youth ministry who just need another dad, who need a mentor. They need a man who would step into their life and do the things that will make a difference. It works. It really does. If you're a child in a divided family, you're on kind of the other side of that, I know it's hard. And I know it's confusing sometimes. And I know sometimes you think, I, I, why did this have to happen? I, I, don't, I don't know. But it did. And I'm going to ask you to cooperate. Sacrifice sometimes that frustration, those selfish desires to maintain harmony. You can make it a lot better or you can make it a lot worse. Proverbs 17.9 says this, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Fathers, face that pressure. Some of your dads in an adoptive home situation, you've adopted people. I think it's one of the most beautiful, gracious things that people can do. And I, I, I think there's a special grace that God gives you for extending love and bringing people into the home. You know, those of you who grow up with adopted brothers or sisters, you're a part of that process too. It's just as important for you to welcome them and for you to be a part of that process as it is for the parents to be. I think maybe the greatest pressure that Jacob faced may have been from just trying to be a positive influence in his home. He had his bad reputation. Now he's a single dad. Uh, financially, things aren't going so good for him. I mean, he's just like really up against it. He's got all these challenges. And even though he was imperfect, I believe he wanted to be, particularly the older he got in his life, he wanted to be a spiritual leader. He wanted to do the right thing. He wanted his kids to have maturity and to be equipped as his family got older. And even though, I think this is so beautiful, it's such a great thing that even though when he was getting to be an older man and his kids are pretty much grown, Jacob calls in all 12 of his sons and he blesses them individually. Isn't that awesome? He said, Reuben, you're going to excel in power and honor. Judah, your brothers are going to praise you and your enemies are going to be conquered by you. Dan... Yes, sir. You're going to provide justice to people. Asher, your food is going to be rich. One by one, he blessed his children. And with all the dysfunction you know, in this family, with all the craziness that was going on in this story in Genesis, and all the imperfections in your family and in my family, you know, with, with all of that, these 12 sons went on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. They were the leaders in the civilized world of that time. You know, Christian fathers feel a lot of pressure to be this spiritual influence on their children, especially in those environments, you know, where you see your dad mess up, you see him get mad, or you see, you know, all these things. He's, Dad, what did you just say, you know? And you think, oh, my goodness, I'm trying to be a spiritual influence, and I feel like I'm blowing it. That's a lot of pressure. And that's hard because we worry about a hundred things. We worry if you're going to take drugs. We worry if you're going to get shot with a gun in school. We worry about teen pregnancy. We worry about AIDS. We worry about youth suicides. We worry about the influence of your friends. We worry about this counter 
uh, power of, of the values that we're, we're trying to instill. And we don't want you to get swept away in that society. And everything we're trying to pour into your life, we feel like could be wiped out in just a moment. And sometimes we, just, we don't even know how. How do we bless our children? How do we keep you walking in the way of the Lord? I believe that one of those ways, just one of those ways, uh, but it's important enough to me that I wanted to mention this one specifically today, is that the impact of giving a verbal spiritual blessing to your children. Words are so powerful, especially words from a father. Some of you are wounded and you will never be able to forget some of the things your father said. I've had grown men and women my age and older to cry because they said, my dad said this to me when I was just seven years old. And I said, you remember that? 40 years later, 30 years later, you remember, yeah, I remember that. And some of you remember some of the positive things that your dad said. When your dad said, I think you can do it, I believe in you, all of a sudden you felt like, well, if he does, then I do. And it made a difference in your life. A verbal spiritual blessing. Now, let me just stop and say this because I'm afraid some of you think, well, that's kind of nice, but I don't know. My kids will know he told me to do it because <laughs> you're sitting here and he's sitting back there. That's okay. Hey, dads, um, if you were to go to your doctor for a checkup, and, you know, during the time and during, during the examination, he goes, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to stop doing this. You've got to quit eating that. You've got to start doing this. You know, he would, he would tell you some things to do. And you would slump your shoulders and say, but I love bacon so much. <laughs> uh, you know, and you would go home and you, you, would, you would sit down with your wife and maybe in the earshot of your family. You wouldn't care if they knew. No, no, none for me. None for me. My doctor said, I've got to stop doing this. The doctor said, I got to do this. And you wouldn't worry that one of your children would pipe up and say, oh, you're just doing that because the doctor said to. Yeah, he's my doctor. And I'm going to do what he said. Okay, I'm not your doctor. I'm just your pastor. But as your pastor, I'm telling you, even if your wife is hearing this, and even if your children hear this, go home and give a verbal blessing to your children. And if they say, you're just doing that because Pastor Dan said to, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. But you know what? It will be just as sincere. It will be just as genuine. And it's going to make a big impact. Don't not do it because you're afraid of what they'll think. Just man up and give them a blessing. Let me give you some suggestions about how that's going to happen. And I know we've all got different personalities. And we're at different places spiritually. For some of you, it's going to be so easy. Some of you think, oh, I wish he hadn't have said that, and I wish my family hadn't heard him say that because now they're going to be watching to see when I do it, and I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't like to talk. My dad, okay, I just, just throw this in. I, I think, as far as I know, with, with the, the Lord listening to this, I, I heard my dad say, I love you twice in my life. Once when he thought he was dying, and uh, we were all gathered around his deathbed, and he said, I love you. The other time was when he was backing out of my driveway on the one visit uh, that he made to Knoxville to see us, and he's pulling out of the driveway. The windows rolled down about halfway, and he says, I, I, I love y'all. 
Folks, you know what? I pretended I didn't hear him say it. I said, what? I'm sorry, what? And then I just got ready because I just, as a grown man with children of my own, I thought, I want to hear him say that one more time. And he said it again. I tried to be cool about it. I tried to be casual. Makes an impact. It will whether your child is two years old or whether they're 20 years old or whether they're 40 years old. Some of you have got grown children and they're in Atlanta or Chicago or New York. You ought to call them. Or if they call you for Father's Day, you ought to tell them, hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. I just want to give you a blessing. It, it's a powerful thing. Let me just give you some just some loose suggestions that, that I think it just seems to, to work and add meaning to it and, and at least give you a skeleton, right? Most of us, we need an outline. We need something to do. One, when you give a verbal blessing, do it in God's name. Let them know. This isn't just some random thing I read in art magazine <laughs> or whatever. Um, let them know. This is in, in Jesus' name. I want to bless you. Um, use your own sincere words. You can't say it wrong, okay? There's no formula. There's no, like, hang on, son. Let me, let me get this. Okay, I'm going to... Okay, here it is. Um, are you listening? It, it, you don't have to do that. You don't have to Google this. Just, just say what's on your heart. Just say that. Use your own words and use God's own words. When I'm at a loss to say, know what to say, you ever be, I just, I don't know what to pray, I don't know what to say. I do this all the time. I, 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 this, oh, thank you, Lord. This has become uh, a part of my lifestyle is that I pray scripture over my children. And I, I pray a blessing with them by when I read scripture, I will just insert their names anywhere there's a personal pronoun. Anywhere it says, you know, you're praying for somebody or something. I just put their names in. And I just pray it out loud. I go, God, I'm not real sure what to say, but I probably, this is probably good. This is your word. This is a Bible, so I don't think I'm going to miss by my, I'm just going to pray your word back to you. Pray a blessing of your children. Let them hear the, the word. Use God's word of Scripture and just quote it back to your children. It's a powerful thing. In 1874, uh, outside of London, there's a, a, a park called Epping Forest. And... Uh, at a time in history when God was using some powerful men, there were two evangelists from America who were visiting London having these great crusade-like meetings. Uh, one was Dwight L. Moody, and the other was Ira Sankey. Dwight was the preacher. Uh, Sankey was the worship leader. He was the music man. And they would do these meetings at night. They were huge. Thousands and thousands of people would come. There was kind of, if you can think of like a Billy Graham crusade or, some, or a passion or, you know, big stuff, something like that, transplanted in Great Britain in, you know, in the 1800s. That's what this was, was going on. Now, there are a group of people who weren't welcome because they were rough. Uh, they, were, they were just not good people to have at those events. They were rowdy. And so they were called the gypsies, and the gypsies wouldn't come in. I've been to Europe, and I've been to gypsy camps, and I've met some of these folks. But they were just outside of the city, and they camped in Epping Forest. And so since they couldn't come to the meetings and wouldn't come to the meetings, uh, Moody and Sankey decided, we'll go out to them. So they took a carriage ride. They went out, uh, and then they went through this little camp encampment, and they just blessed people and had conversations with people. At one point during the village, uh, the visit uh, at the village, there was a, a little boy that came up to Dwight L. Moody, and he blessed the boy. And in that blessing, he put his hands on him, he looked at him, and he said, the Lord make a preacher of you, boy. 
This is a little unlikely that this was ever going to happen because, one, the, the boy's mother had died of smallpox. The father was not a great influence. He had recently become a Christian, but he had been in and out of jail and just really wasn't there for the little boy. Uh, the boy was basically pretty much illiterate. Uh, he was not even a Christian, you know, <laughs> to, to take a jump from becoming a Christian all the way to being a, a preacher, you know, was, was a pretty big step. So, you know, had all those things working. And here's the cool part of the story. You go forward 15 years, Ira Sankey's now living in Brooklyn. And there was this rising British evangelist, this young man who was just seeing amazing things happen in his life and ministry, who had come to the U.S. to visit, and Sankey went out to pick him up. And in the carriage ride, bringing him into the city and giving him a tour of New York, the young evangelist said, do you remember coming to England with Dwight L. Moody and that you went out to this gypsy camp and there was a little boy there and he blessed this little boy. And Sankey said, I do. He said, I am that boy. This evangelist went on to become world famous. He preached in countries all over the world. He wrote several books and became known as Gypsy Smith. And Gypsy Smith, it was said, never preached a revival meeting that somebody wasn't saved. No one was, there was never no conversions. If that's two negatives in a sentence. There was never a meeting where there was not a conversion when he preached. It's just a powerful thing. And I encourage you fathers to pass along not only a verbal blessing, but a spiritual blessing to your children. And guys, men, this is more than just taking them to church. You can't just do that and check it off going, done it. You can't just pass them along to kids stuff or to youth group. It's not even just praying with them or even setting a good example before them. Gary Smalley suggests there's five practical ways you can pass on a blessing. Guys, jot these down as fast as you can, and I'll get them to you later if you don't get it. Number one is a meaningful touch. It's important that you touch your children. The Bible says that Jacob embraced and kissed and laid his hands on his sons and his grandchildren. That was strong. I've noticed, and I've been to several, several third world countries and we've been to a lot of orphanages haven't we we've been to a lot of places where things are pretty desperate you know one of the things that's consistent in every place i've ever been the children come up to you and they take your hand they hold onto your arm they're constantly hanging on you holding you they need that touch and they haven't had it and you watch next time we go on a mission trip we're going back to haiti uh next spring and you watch what happens when you go into one of these tent cities, when you go into a place, the children are just going to come up to you and they're going to want to touch you. Men, your children need that just as much. They, they need a hug, a touch, an arm around their shoulder, even a kiss. All my children are about grown. I still kiss them. <laughs> and I'm going to keep kissing you. So... I just think that communicates love. It communicates a blessing. Second thing, you pass on a blessing through verbal affirmation. You got to say it. You can't just think it. Children long to hear. Out of everybody else in the world, they long to hear their dad say, I'm so 
proud of you. You've done that so well. Great job. So I love you. God is love so crazy about you. You've got to say those things. Thirdly, we pass along a blessing by attaching value. By attaching value. To bless literally means to honor. And we honor our children by letting them know that they are valuable to us. That they're valuable. They're the most important people in the world. Uh, we will sacrifice in order to, to be with them. We will do what we have to do. Uh, I, I had an incident years and years ago where uh, Aaron loved to go to a ballpark and we'd take it a bucket of baseballs. He would get up in the batter's cage and I would throw a ball. He would hit it out in the outfield. I'd do it until the bucket was empty. Then I'd go pick up all those balls and we'd do it all over again. It was a lot of fun. I can't. I miss that. I miss that. That was awesome, boring, and um, and then we go. So I told him one day. I said, on this day, we're going to go hit baseballs until your little arms fall off, and then we're going to go eat at McDonald's. It's going to be a great night. He was so excited. And like every day, is it Friday yet? Are we going yet? Are we going now? No, it's not Friday. It's not Friday. Well, in the meantime, I got an opportunity to speak on the campus of the University of Tennessee. I got a chance to speak to the athletes. And I'd been there a time or two, and I loved that environment, and I just liked hanging out with them, and then later going, yeah, I was, I was in the locker room the other day. With, yeah, and just being that guy, you know. And I got this call, and they said, we're going to be real honest with you. Speaker bailed, and you're way down the list. We've called everybody we know. <sighs> Would you come speak? And my first tendency, I was just say, yeah, and I, I got it. At that time, I was using a Franklin Day planner. I'll never forget this, opening that planner and looking down, and I had... Throw baseballs and McDonald's with Aaron. Folks, this is one of my best moments. <laughs> I'm not going to tell the other stories, but this one, I love telling this one. Um, in that second, I had to make a decision. And, oh, I'm still thinking and wondering if I did the right thing. But um, <laughs> I, I said, you know what, I'd love to come, but on my calendar, I've already got an event scheduled. And I'm going to be honest with you, in my flesh, I hung up the phone and I thought, <laughs> yeah. no, I didn't. But I, you know, and I don't know if he's ever even heard that that's what happened. That he's ever known that maybe until this moment. All he knew was, I must be valuable. Guys, communicate to your children, even if they're grown, that you value them that they matter to you. It makes a difference. Let me tell you one other thing that's attached to that. You know, when you lock, when you make eye contact, when you listen to them, uh, but we bless them when we honor their mother. When you bless your wife's wife, wife, <laughs> Did that just go out on Ustream? Um, when you bless your wife, that has a profound impact on your children. There's a sense of security when they know mama's number one. My mother is the most important person in my dad's life. There's nobody, nobody more important than her. We're second. 
Everybody else is third. The folks down at the church, at the job, on the team, all those people, they're third, fourth, fifth, sixth, on down the line. Mom's first, we're second. That's going to be huge. The fourth thing is that we pass along a blessing by picturing a positive future for them. Let your kids know you believe in them now, you believe in their future. You know, hey, you're, you love people so much, I think one day you're going to be a great salesman. You love animals. You're so good with animals, you'd be a great veterinarian one day. And just, you're not telling them what their career is going to be, but just keep opening those doors. Just keep letting them explore opportunities. You're so courageous. You would be a great policeman one day. You're so careful. You're so loving. You'd be a good counselor. You would be a good, you know, there's so many things. And, and when they get grown, they don't think, I can't do anything. You love the church. I bet when you get grown, you're going to be a leader in the church. You're going to be a teacher or a community group leader or a deacon or a pastor. You're, you're going to make a difference in your generation. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with you. That's going to change your child forever. And then just one more thing. Uh, th this fifth way we bless our children is by an active commitment to our children. It's not enough to speak the words. Dads, it's not enough. There has to be a willingness in the present to sacrifice for your child. And that means we don't get all the toys we'd like to have. You know, when we pray for them, when we spend time with them, and you're tired, and I know that, and you'd rather be doing something else, I know that. But when you help to develop their gifts, when you spend the money for the lessons, and believe me, there is a lesson for just about anything your child is interested in or wants to do. There's somebody out there teaching it and wanting you to pay them money to do it. Pay the money for the higher education. You know, uh, th those things are important. And children appreciate those things. Let your dad know. Some of you ought to call your dad this afternoon and say, you know what, I was just doing the math on my tuition, and I just read two days ago in the paper that UT's going up 12% this year. Dad, that's a lot of money. And I know you don't make a lot of money. And I just want to tell you thank you. He may act like it's not a big deal. He may brush it off. He'll remember it for the rest of his life. I did this so late. I was in my 30s before I realized how much my dad had tried to do. And with all his quirks and all the things, he worked hard. And he instilled that value in me, and it has served me well. And one day, I just told him. I said, Dad, I realize all those times you were working overtime, it's not because you loved work at a steel fabricating place <laughs> that that just woo, gave you, you know, a buzz to, to go in there every day and do the shipping and receiving for all these metal things. You know, I, I said, I, I realize you worked overtime and you worked hard. We didn't seem to have that much, but I, I, I never, you know, went without food. I never went without clothes, and I, and I always had a roof over my head. I said, Dad, that's because you worked so dadgum hard. needs to hear you. Thank you. He needs to know that you realize that and that you appreciate that. Call your dad this afternoon. Give him a hug and say, Dad, I didn't, I, and I had to tell him, I, said, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I was so mad because you couldn't buy me a car because you couldn't pay my tuition because you couldn't do this. And I just thought, why didn't he let go some of that bazillion dollars that he has, you know? 
that. Your dad's probably trying to do as best he can. So let him know, and he'll remember it the rest of his life. Several years ago, we had uh, Patrick Morley uh, here for a men's conference, and Calvary hosted that. Uh, He has written a book called Man in the Mirror. It's a great little book. Uh, And in that book, he tells a story about a fishing trip Uh, That group of fishermen had landed in this little bay in Alaska, and they had a great day of fishing for salmon. And uh, when they returned to their seaplane, they were surprised because uh, the tide had gone down. They had no options. They had to wait for it to come back up before they'd be able to take off uh, with the fluctuating tides. And when morning came and the tide came back in, uh, they got all set and they're ready to take off, and they realized that one of the pontoons had gotten punctured because it had run aground, and the ship, the, uh, what am I trying to say, the airplane started sinking. And they had to make a decision. So as it began to sink, uh, these three men and a 12-year-old boy named Mark, uh, they, they gathered, they prayed together, and they all jumped into these icy cold waters of Alaska to try to swim to shore. Uh, the water is freezing. There's a strong riptide. Uh, two of these men barely reached the shore, just exhausted. And when they got there, they looked back, and they, com- their companion, who was also a, a good swimmer, had not, didn't swim to shore because his 12-year-old son, Mark, wasn't strong enough to make it. And they saw that father with his arms around the son, just speaking comforting words to him, being slowly swept out to sea. He chose to die with his son rather than let his son die without him, alone. He'd rather die with his son than live without him. And I think that's a fact that uh, most kids don't get yet. We love our children. If I were to say, how many of you men would take a bullet for your kids? we would all leap to our feet, right? Guys, I'm asking you to do something bigger that's going to take longer and in some ways would be even harder. Most of us won't have to ever lay down our life for our kids. But we've got to live for them. We've got to live for them. And I'm calling you out to live for your children. The Bible says no greater love than this as a man than he would lay down his life for his friends. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning, and um, I hope you're cool with this. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask all of our men, if you're a dad, or if you are a role model in the life of some men younger than you. Some of you don't have biological children, but you have children. There's the kid next door. There's the kid, you know, there's a, there's a guy that you work with. Uh, in a certain place. I mean, there, there's these people, if you've got a, somebody like that in your life, you don't have to do this, but I, I hope you would. I'm just going to ask you to come forward and to stand right here in this area in front of me. And I want to give you a spiritual blessing. I want to give you a biblical blessing. And I promise it'll be short. It's just going to be one verse from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. It's just going to be this one scripture that I just want to pray over you uh, as we move forward into this adventure of being a good dad. I know you're stressed. I know sometimes you feel like I've got to be iron dad. No, you don't. 
Because you have this giant of a God living inside you who's going to equip and enable and encourage you to do this. And men, you're going to be blessed, and your children are going to be blessed probably long after you're gone because you committed to be an iron dad. Would you do that right now? Uh, guys, just step forward and just let me pray this over you. And this is our invitation, and we're going to do, uh, I think, some, a song and then, then close out. But um, as we're doing that, these guys gather up. Guys, why don't you, you're going to have to scrunch in here tight. And you, it's okay if you want to put your arms around each other and you want to kiss. No, I, I don't want to manipulate this too much, but just pack in here tight. It's okay. All right, guys, give each other some support. And uh, if you would, bow your heads and let me pray this. And then if you just stand here for a moment and pray for one another. And ladies, if you've got a man up here, if you've got a father an uncle, a friend, a husband. I'm going to ask you to do something. I know you think, that's a little over the top. That's a little cheesy. Would you just extend your hand toward them and just pray for them when this music begins? After I pray this prayer blessing, would you just pray for these men? Just pray for these men. Men, let me give you a blessing. Father, I want to thank you for today, and I thank you for our time together. I thank you for these men. Lord, I see before me champions. And I see before me warriors and dads and granddads and mentors. Father, give us the grace to raise this generation up so that others may know Christ, so that they would be healthy. And Father, this is my prayer for them. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. Be strong. Your every action must be done with love. My brothers, in Jesus' name, Father, I pray this prayer of blessing.